What follows is a dialogue between myself and Toby about the life and times of Director Thomas Arlington of the NIA. These are our thoughts about his world and his efforts as we travel through space and time, through the window. Finally, we come to it, the tale of the man himself, director Thomas Arlington. So on our list here, the question that I asked you is, how does Thomas's backstory dovetail with all the other parts of the handbook, showing us the foundation and driving forces of the voice that narrates the bulk of the manifesto for their cartographers and the RSA as a whole. It shows to me that Thomas Arlington has had thoughts about how this nation could be improved for a long, long time. Mm. Well before the emergence of the Wendigo, he was sharply aware of the systemic injustices and imbalances of the country as he and many people he loved were victims of it. He may be being very diplomatic when he says it, but I still think that there is some truth to his words when he says that that feeling he had when a weight was lifted from his shoulders and he felt a sense of freedom, true freedom, as he mentions it, when slavery was finally ended. Or I forget if he says that in reference to that or just his escape from captivity, but that feeling is one he hopes that every American gets to experience when the goals he's laid out in this book are met. His background and his decision to share it makes the stakes that he faces all the more apparent in that he's not saying all of this from an unassailable position of power in government. This is a tightrope he's walking, and he knows there will be resistance to the ideas and he even shares an example of this with the anecdote of Custer, which is the perfect historical figure to use to tie to a racist dickhead in a position of power that would be in the room when Arlington would be making these suggestions. To clarify this comment, Toby is referring to the man who calls Thomas the N-word and seems bemused at how Thomas could be so intelligent. Neither the text nor the versions of the audio drama I have access to identifies this man, who is in fact George Custer, the man best known for leading his forces to total defeat at the hands of allied Native American tribes at the Battle of Little Bighorn in our modern history, an event that would not have occurred due to the coming of the Wendigo. The only way we could know who this is would be if you listened to or read the credits from the individual chapter as listed on the New Century Multiverse podcast feed, and extrapolated from there. You could also potentially recognize Spencer Lee's voice, and this now puts into context why he did not remember voicing Custer when we mentioned it during his interview. So, as a result, Cartographers comes across as the narrator's great gamble, and one that he has put all of his determination 
his heart and his soul behind. So just double-checking, the reference that you make to the weight being lifted from shoulders was specifically when he and his sister make it across the border into non-slavery states, specifically that's into right. Illinois. I think that's important because it's quite a personal experience. It's one that like wasn't shared by other slaves at the same time. It was something that he experienced when he made this step, and he mm. wants everyone to have that. And also, if he was to try and say, I genuinely want everyone to have that feeling in response to his feelings at the end of the Civil War, I don't think that, that would win him any favours for people who are still a little bit sore about the outcome of the Civil War. So, I mean, obviously, none of like what he's saying is going to be particularly endearing to racist people out there, but... It's just this feeling of sincerity that is very vulnerable, but it's also a remarkable sign of strength for his character. I think that that is something that he took great risk to accomplish. He did it, and he wants to do that again, and he will put himself in even more danger than when he did that all those years ago. Mm. In response to one of your other points, uh, when mm -hmm. you answered the question about the thoughts behind his words in regards to freedom, true freedom, mm. the, the sense of freedom is one he hopes Amer every American gets to experience. <laughs> God, there's a certain... It feels weird whenever this sort of thing happens, but because just of the way things have laid out, there's an odd synchronicity between those words and Sam Wilson's speech at the end of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And here I have to put in a big old spoiler warning, because even though the show has already released, and it might be impossible to not know the major story beats of Falcon and the Winter Soldier... In the same way that it's hard not to be spoiled now by the events of Infinity War and Endgame, I still want to be sensitive, and if you don't want to hear anything, then you can skip ahead to 7 minutes and 43 seconds. That said, here we go. After he's taken up the mantle of Captain America, he's having an argument with prominent senators who are trying to quote-unquote explain to Sam that they have no idea how complicated it is to deal with all of the people that came back and found someone else living in their family home. And Sam's response to that is, We finally have a common struggle now. Think about that. For once, all the people who've been begging, and I mean literally begging for you, to feel how hard any given day is, now you know. How did it feel to be helpless? Now, if you could remember what it was like to be helpless and face a force so powerful it could erase half the planet, you would know that you're about to have the exact same impact. Hmm. The world of New Century has gone through its own 10-year crisis at this point, where the civilization 
of the United States has been rocked to its very core. First by the Civil War, but then even more so by the presence of the Wendigo and their disruptive effect in the middle of a time of weakness to begin with, post-Civil War. And yes, the same is true of the rest of the world as well. But because this story happens in a pre-global community era, we're only talking about how the U.S. is responding, rather than how it is in the MCU. And now everybody is in a state of recovery, and they don't have they don't have a set of superpowered Avengers to help them along their way, or the mm. power of the Infinity Gauntlet to Undo return it. the world. Yeah, to, to to potentially even begin to return the world to some form of normal. Mm. This is a movement, a goal that is being spearheaded by President Grant and by Thomas Arlington, with the Cartographer's Handbook being the founding principles and some of the guidelines along the way of what they're trying to accomplish. And it promotes this goal of returning the world to a better place, to some form of normality, but also to a better place in general, because it requires everyone to come together in a way that they hadn't been able to do before, to accept their differences in order to ensure that the human race does not die out, because they can't necessarily count on assistance from anywhere else to ensure that humanity doesn't utterly fail elsewhere around the globe as well. Like, I don't even know if they understood about things like minimum breeding populations and stuff like that. But at the very least, it still seems like unmitigated disaster to the people on this continent alone, particularly when they don't have a lot of technology or resources that they can call on to actually figure a lot of this stuff out. Uh, the way we do now. So that aspect of Thomas's experience and attempting to relate it to the American public, it's an argument that we want to work, basically, Mm. because (laughs) we want the better world that Thomas is espousing And we want them to succeed and to thrive again in this better world. But then we go on to ask the question, does Thomas's story succeed in giving us empathy for him? And obviously, the easy answer is, of course, yes. But the follow-up question that I asked you in addition to that was, does it seem like it should succeed giving audiences of that time empathy for him? And that's where the wrinkle in the works comes in. Mm -hmm. It definitely makes me empathetic towards him for obvious reasons, for the same reasons that like every reader and listener is invested in his story. He's faced too much and he is fighting for this country even when it has shown him much cruelty in the past and 
you have to imagine continues to in the mm. present. And his volunteering of this information without using the safety of anonymity means he is painting a target on his back. You can't help but respect and feel empathetic towards someone who is showing that kind of bravery and conviction for purposes that are largely benevolent. Mm. But as for how people at the time will react, that complicated second question that you have asked me, or asked us really, as we see in secret rooms, my impulse is that it would be mixed. Some would hear the words of the rest of the book first, take it on board, and possibly be challenged by this revelation, but conclude that the rest of the book validates their trust in this man. They may have not heard these words if they were told at the start, and then they would have missed out on it, but it could be that these types of people would actually take his words and say that's the strength of his character so perhaps my assumptions were misplaced on people from this background others like james at the end of secret rooms when he reads the second edition of the handbook will express respect towards someone for showing this level of open bravery a response that mirrors my own and i imagine what a lot of people go through when they first read this book it can't be limited to a single overriding public response. It has to be a sea of differing and overlapping voices. And that is definitely frightening because if the handbook is about trying to establish some kind of control, that this is a traumatic situation that America has found itself in, and mm -hmm. we are taking action to try and control this trauma that we have gone through to try and move forward to heal to do something active so to introduce something that will invite disunity in the response is something that i think is a fascinating insight into thomas's character because if he was purely driven by just complete mathematical logic of wanting to get to see every american as a potential resource and saying this is exactly what they need to be and that's what will do it he could play it a different way he could play it in a way where he did actually withhold this information mm -hmm. but to him it's not just about the binary fact of survival or our extinction it has to be that we're not just working towards keeping everyone alive we're working towards a version of america that is a better normal and if people are resistant to this information then they are not actually going to be helpful in establishing this new normal in this new reality so to go back to your original question of whether this would succeed in making him an empathetic figure i think it's even said in arlington the book that the cartographer's handbook is a test of empathy mm. so it's not necessarily trying to create an empathetic reaction it is trying to see who will have that empathetic reaction and those who don't are likely not really going to be taking in the rest of the information 
I've just sort of been sitting here with some of your response and thinking to myself for a moment here about we've been talking a lot about the disparate components of the handbook in terms of both trying to invoke empathy of various kinds but also in an attempt to impose order mm. and say from the very beginning that because this is what has been deemed necessary for the survival of their way of life that you don't really have a choice in complying with the will of the government in order to achieve that. The implication is that, based on some of the stuff that you were just saying, those that would not want to go along with that are not just harmful to the potential success of those that do rejoin the RSA and agree to work within these new ideals and duties and everything like that, but that these potentially are not people that we would want to have even try to work with us at all, because we don't necessarily want these kinds of people as being a part of this different community. Mm -hmm. And in a different setting, like, say, oh, a curated online community, then the idea of not allowing other people into that community in order to maintain harmony and encourage an environment where everybody feels safe, that's one thing, because it's virtual and because not everyone needs to be allowed access to everywhere. And boy, if that isn't an ongoing uh, frustrating conversation in regards to um, mm -hmm. spaces and everything like that in the modern world. There's but a here... difference between a haven mm -hmm. and an entire country. Not just that, but the idea that the whole if you're not with us, then you're against us mentality is literally saying that uh, if you can't find it within yourself to accept a better way of being, accept the idea that all people are people and should be accorded rights and privileges and empathy, then we will potentially wipe you out. Mm. That doesn't necessarily feel like it's not a good there's a complicated potential reading slash subtext in play here but uh, by the same token I think it's important to specify here that especially as comes into play in later books in the series it's not even necessarily about the fact that there is no place for those that will not be a part of this better community in the RSA 
is the fact that these kinds of people are already inclined to respond violently to us anyway. Mm. Because they do mm. in various ways in terms of founding cults of their own or, say, joining a charismatic leader that is potentially willing to work with the RSA but has fundamental values that are in conflict with some of the values that Thomas and the government of the RSA would be trying to espouse and everything like that. Mm. This is the complicated subtext that is the preface to how some of these elements actually play out in Arlington, which, again, is why I'm very glad that we ended up deciding to cover cartographers directly before Arlington, because this is a literal examination of past is prologue here this is my new recommended reading order just mm-hmm. like let them go a uh, secret rooms definitive edition or definitive rooms as we said last time <laughs> and uh i still haven't forgotten it i love it uh yeah. tiger's eye because why would you delay yourself from experiencing tiger's eye yeah and then yeah. like arlington and if you want for some people you may be like justified in skipping cartographers if you're really struggling with it but if you feel up to it cartographers then arlington because cartographers handbook is kind of like one side of a conversation Mm. or it's like here's a statement and now let's see the ensuing arguments or the ensuing conversation that springs out as a result of that Mm -hmm. but we shall get more into its place and its sort of character as a book in the concluding thoughts to get back to thomas his okay hold on a second before we get back to thomas there is something i want to say Mm -hmm. is that just in terms of like your discussion of the reading order there you could skip cartographer's handbook but i still think that it fills in some pretty relevant details that help you understand more of what actually happened in secret rooms and helps you to understand some of the later conversations in Arlington. I know that Alex does his best in order to try and make the relevant information to us clear in the individual books and everything like that, Mm -hmm. but especially in terms of those few returning characters that have their stories told in Cartographer's Handbook, uh, as well as the exact wording of certain arguments or elements of the last 10 years and the vision for the future. It may be a difficult read, but it's a little bit like a sort of like a a design document, so to speak, Uh for the bulk of new century or at least new century u.s in general and blueprint yeah exactly and so therefore much like the in-universe handbook itself is supposed to be Mm. so i don't know at the very least you could 
listen to our podcast about it, and you'd get all the information you needed to know about the Cartographer's Handbook. I have never considered that as a possibility until now. Although, to be honest, I'm not sure it would actually work either. We don't do a synopsis of each chapter, and our questions assume the listeners have already read it. Moreover, unlike our other episodes, we didn't review this story in chapter bunches, because it doesn't have a linear narrative. So very likely, you'd have to have read the whole thing in order to follow us first through the manifesto portions, and then again through the dramatis personae portions. But that said, let me just take you back to our original conversation, which is hilarious. Yeah. Like, oh my, that would be such a weird thing, like, to go, <laughs> like, okay, what you do is you read, let them go, then you read Secret Rooms, then you read Tiger's Eye, it's brilliant, and then you listen to these two clowns talk about this book, <laughs> and then you listen to this. <laughs> yeah. But, uh... hey, you know what? Like, I've always liked that, uh, our intros... Why don't we say that this whole conversation we're having right now of people discussing the cartographer's handbook, this is all canon. This is just <laughs> us having a conversation like around a fire and saying, like, oh, this handbook, like, it's interesting that they do that, and just talking all about that. A whole bunch of the conversation wouldn't make sense, but we'll go with it. <laughs> See, now all of a sudden I'm just picturing the idea of, like, we're doing a podcast and people are listening to it, but imagine, like, does the radio, they have telegraph wires, I don't, they don't have radio at this I mean, in the... American history, but, but imagine uh, if, what's the, the audio log stuff called, the, um, the, they, they use them in, um, Secret rooms. What do they call them? In oh, Vox tubes. Vox tubes. Yes. Yeah. The fact that Vox tubes are quite a sort of remarkable thing has me thinking that this is pre-radio. Yeah, exactly. According to a little bit of research, the technology to make radio transmission possible wasn't begun until 1906, and it wasn't commercial until 1919. So a long ways off from where we are. It must be before radio, because otherwise this would be a thing, and potentially Raven would... Oh, God. Okay, I'm sorry. Bringing up more characters from Arlington here that we haven't talked about. Uh, the point is, is that the news thus far appears to be primarily distributed through writing, as mm. opposed to audio at this point. But just imagine, slightly off to one side, the idea if radio shows did in fact exist in New Century... And that you and I were like the equivalent of like friggin' car talk on NPR, uh, talking about the cartographer's handbook. Like, you know, that was like, so what do you think about this chapter there, Toby? Uh, <laughs> everybody else to listen to. <laughs> the, you know what it is? Like, if you've ever wandered around in Fallout and then you switch on the radio and you hear either Three Dog or, uh, <laughs> like, Mr. New Vegas, I forget his, uh, the name of the radio DJ and that, but that's us. And then we put on some music in between. In fact, you do put on music, right? Oh my God. This... 
Oh God, that's such a such a great note for us to end Cartographer's <laughs> Handbook on. I love this fucking energy. Also, I've had a little bit of caffeine. I don't know if you had caffeine, so this is just brilliant. I claim I haven't, but I'll let you be the judge of that. <laughs> Crap. Okay, so you were about to to return to Thomas. Uh, do you remember what your thoughts were? So um, I, So I guess I sort of wanted to respond to as a whiplash from the sort of uh, manic energy of the last three minutes plus probably, but uh, to go back to what we were talking about of the handbook and this suggestion that if you're not with this better future we're working towards, then you are something that will be working against it and you've got to be stamped out. That is in this really kind of, off-putting and like unnerving section of the book where Thomas is actually comparing secessionism to the spread of the Wendigo disease that every person who is subjected to it is taking one of our number and could spread that to other people and just everything that he says there has this sort of like thin veil of restraint to it where mm. you get the feeling that he's trying to do that sort of classic rhetoric of i'm not saying that such and such and like just by doing that it's like well you're still invoking it and you're still bringing that to people's minds and it's all for like i say largely benevolent goals that we get and i think it would be I would be lying if I said that like the idea of just wanting to remove the worst parts of civilization, that impulse that you can see Thomas has that in him, that's like you get it. You mm -hmm. get it. But nevertheless, the way he talks about it and the comparisons and the picture he's creating and the way he slowly deliberately says this and i loved your observation from a few episodes back where you were talking about how he had this experience as a lawyer that he knows how to construct an argument how to win over people he this way he's building it and comparing things there's an insidiousness to it it's gradual it's uh, i looked up the definition because it was the word that came to mind and i wanted to make sure that i was applying it in an appropriate way but to insidious is to be proceeding in a gradual, subtle way, but with very harmful effects. And I don't know if I can go as far as to say that like what Thomas is doing is very harmful, but there is that subtlety and that gradualness there that makes it feel insidious. It feels as if what he is doing here has so much of positive reconstruction to it but that character that's nevertheless there that makes this not just a blank bland textbook that is absolutely narrated by a character who has his goals and mm. things that's not just like strictly like one end of the character alignment chart it's these moments that give window into a character who it, you can tell is going to be very important in new century and the prologue of arlington i won't say what is revealed in that in case you have been listening to this and 
you haven't got to Arlington yet. But you know how the prologue ends, Greg, so you'll know mm-hmm. what I'm referring to here. But that detail there is like, wait, what? And considering we haven't spent much time in the room with Thomas by that point, the fact that it still hits and you think, oh, no, isn't mm. that a testament to how much it feels like we know him? Mm. Once more, I don't like to get too off track because there's a lot of actual new century conversation to cover. But Toby highlighting the word insidious makes me think of a scene from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, where two alien characters are discussing the nature of the Federation, and that word gets used. And there's a lot of conversation that could be had in that vein. How later nuanced takes have been made in regards to the Federation actually being insidious, in regards to the ideals that a free society purports to, and the often dark underbelly of the reality of it. But that takes us far beyond the remit of both this story and this podcast, so we'll put that to one side. But I will put a link in the show notes for that scene I'm thinking of, in case anybody is curious. Well, we'll obviously talk about some of these stuff more when we discuss... Next time on Through the Window! (laughs) Yeah, when we discuss the first four chapters of Arlington... We'll get into more detail about that specific moment that you're talking about. But take into account, like, one of the things that my questions didn't cover was not just the fact that his story is about him and his sister's flight from slavery Mm -hmm. and the way that he attempted to build a new life in a free world and found himself drawn first into the conflict that gave him the opportunity to leave in the first place, the Civil War, and then after that war was over, returning to a potentially more peaceful life, but the fact that the Wendigo Plague invaded on that peaceful life to the point where he could no longer ignore it because it cost him his son. Like, that's the biggest, most empathy-inducing moment of his story, even more than his flight from slavery. And Mm. it puts into context part of the reason why he's taking this hard line in regards to elements of humanity that will not band together for this greater goal because on some level he's associating principles of white supremacy as being as much a sickness Mm. as the Wendigo themselves drawing the comparisons between the Wendigo and and Secession and everything like that, the, mm. the broader implication of that is the idea that it's not simply that certain people will not be governed, but more specifically, that they will not be governed by this government that is telling them, you need to be able to get along with your neighbors, even if they happen to have a different skin tone or belong to a different ethnicity or anything like that. 
and this one of the is something incurable. Yeah, exactly. If you can't, the whole conversation earlier about this is a test is specifically about if you can read this handbook and either already have it in you to go along with what we're saying or can be convinced of the rightness of this argument, then you are capable of building a better, stronger, more perfect union, one might say, than we previously had, the one that actually led us to the Civil War to begin with. And if you cannot, then their desire to be free, completely free, of everything is a kind of freedom that is inherently dangerous, I guess you could say, because it's essentially the freedom to be able to do whatever they want and to not have laws which restrict them from their baser impulses. So to speak. And it's fascinating that that freedom has to be different to the freedom, true freedom, that Thomas hopes that every American gets to feel one day. Yeah. Because if they were one and the same, then they, it wouldn't be something that you, he would be wanting to stamp out. So it makes me wonder that when Thomas emphasizes true freedom in his story, there is a difference between like how different people define freedom and that what is happening here is a kind of freedom that comes at the cost of not just the freedom of others, but the lives of others. I think that that is, to him, not what that concept is. Yeah. Yeah. We sort of move a little bit beyond the last question that I had for this section right here, but I just want to take a moment to read off some of your responses here, which is that you were talking about the virtues that he has been encouraging in cartographers, reasoning, mm -hmm. openness, creative thinking that looks for alternative solutions, but preserve life where they can nevertheless is ready to take it when challenged by those who would go against them, that these are all virtues that he hopes to sow into America to create the kind of nation that would move forward beyond the misguided things it once valued that weighed it down from becoming a free and unified nation. And mm. once more, it makes me reflect a little bit on a conversation that was happening recently in Discord, and again, specifically in relation to some of the surrounding stuff in regards to the Falcon and the Winter Soldier show. Alex was specifically talking about the need to move forward. Otherwise, it's just uh, the way he framed it is that if we belabor the point, then we go back and forth and back and forth, and we want to go forth. Hmm. So 
that's that's an <laughs> apt way of putting it mm-hmm. and that's that's a philosophy that is such a a commendable starting point for the series because if this is a manifesto of what Thomas wants to achieve with America, it's also kind of what Alex wants to achieve with New Century. This mm-hmm. feeling of healing, of taking a seemingly impossible world of troubles and condensing and refining that into some sort of growth. That is absolutely what the rest of New Century, as it has unfolded and continues to unfold has been directed to is that growth Mm. do you have more thoughts about specific because we've been wandering all over the place to a certain degree we're we're Uh trying to focus specifically on um, thomas thomas but more specifically section 10 because we're focusing on stories of Mm. the character yeah. Do you have anything that any other subjects you want to get onto in terms of that story? Hmm. I think that the presence of Frederick Douglass, mm. him being cited and invoked, and then him even appearing in that account of Thomas talking with President Grant, it's a necessary acknowledgement of the fact that as much as Thomas is this fictional character, someone that we desperately wish could have been there to challenge the wrongs and imbalances and chaos of this time period and possibly even our own in this current time. And not just at this, this sounds as if I'm framing it as a, well, at least we got this. It's no, there were people who did fight this and who did speak out and who managed to do so in positions of prominence. Black men and black women who are so worthy of admiration and of their place in history that this book, I think it was important that Thomas's story is not just about sort of positioning like certain characters in history like Grant, but the prominent black people who were, who did make a mark on history and who are people who we want to stay in this version of history. Characters like Custer, no, we do not need them in this timeline. What we need is more people like Thomas and absolutely more people like Frederick Douglass. Mm. Something that comes to mind a little bit, and this wasn't necessarily a component in the crafting of the book, the Cartographer's Handbook, but Mm -hmm. was potentially in the back of Alex's mind since he knew that he was going to write Arlington later on, was the idea that his story here would have been like a significant portion of a potential biographical account of someone of importance like that, not unlike, say, the Malcolm X movie. Mm -hmm. But here, that past of his is put to one side and separated out 
in a brief personal account that we don't see all the ins and outs and nuances of. Mm, certain Whereas, details are deliberately withheld. Mm-hmm. I mean, deliberately withheld, but also, like, it's enough to know that this is what happened to him. We don't need to actually walk through the individual moments of, say, a dramatic scene showing the escape of him and his sister and everything like that. That would mm. be probably a key component of a movie of his life, so to speak. Mm. It's an account of his life. It's not a recreation of his life. Exactly. And to a certain extent, the fact that it is just an account is almost... It almost makes it better on a certain level because the fine line that movies about the black experience have to tread to a certain degree is to show accurate details about the experience of being a black person in a white-dominated society mm. without it focusing too much on what certain crit critics would refer to as black suffering, mm. so to speak. Thomas has complete control over his story that means that he is able to give the details that he feels are most important without any quote-unquote cinematographer focusing on individual moments in order mm. to try to encourage potentially that empathy mm. and yet in the process accidentally fetishizing that suffering no. or anything like that. He's exercising the agency to be able to tell his story, mm -hmm. I think. And that's probably another reason why it was so important that he include this, is that he is under pressure not to include this. This is a mm. scene that plays out in Arlington. And is also referenced in the handbook itself. Yes, like, exactly. I wanted to tell this story. I wasn't mm -hmm. allowed to in the first printing. Now I yeah. have to do so. This whole handbook is very much constructed to achieve an intended effect. And as much as he says, I would be very happy if my name was completely stricken off the record, if this is going to be about him, mm. it has to be a certain amount of him exercising his agency, that he gets to say this, that he chooses to say this and include these details well I, I think from there let's i think that's a good place for us to move on to our concluding thoughts mm -hmm. back when we were leading up to discussing the cartographer's handbook and all through going like discussing our feelings about where the handbook stands in the new century canon get out the tier list maker <laughs> yeah exactly and considering how we feel about individual books and how those opinions have changed over the course of us doing our deep dives into these stories mm -hmm. like the the growing consensus overall is that we come out of it having 
a greater appreciation for what's there mm. now that we've mined out each piece of content everywhere that we can find it and talked it to death over and over. You do realize now, of course, that we... Uh, we've been talking for longer than the book, haven't we? <laughs> we've been talking for longer than the book, and this was initially planned out to be two Skype conversations of, like, two hours apiece. Four hours of content, and resulting in, like, four episodes... Two for the manifesto, two for Dramatis Persona. We now have a preface to season four that is seven episodes long. Uh, and I don't know how many hours yet. So taking <sighs> all of that into consideration, I ask you the question, which you had a response to at the time, but maybe that's changed since you originally gave me your notes how does the cartographer's handbook work as an entry to the greater story of new century does it succeed as a story in its own right or is it more like an interlude between more powerful narratives take it away toby well there's not much to talk about really <laughs> yeah no nothing to talk about at all <laughs> The Cartographer's Handbook is nostalgic to me in many ways. When I revisit it, which has happened more often than like I would have expected, just through our re-listening, through me revisiting the series before I was even talking about it on social media or doing blog reviews or anything like that, and everything since then. But when I revisit it, it does cast my mind back to when I was first introduced to this world and the unfolding mysteries that it was presenting me with. Secret rooms used to also represent, you know, quote unquote, early new century to me as well. But with the definitive edition, that book evolved into something that stands proudly alongside the rest of new century, essentially everything from tiger's eye onwards that feels like they're fully formed and most importantly, fully realized books but Cartographers remains more or less what it was when I first read it. A decent enough introduction, one that has me intrigued for what else to, is to come, but it's not leaving me champing at the bit to get my hands on what happens immediately after this. I do, of course, have it now because I know we're going on to Arlington, and mm. as hard as that is going to be to talk about, there's a reason why I have the cover of Arlington hanging up on my wall. And I'm, <laughs> if this was a visual format, you'd see me pointing to it. Mm. But compare that feeling of the end of this book to the end of Let Them Go or Tiger's Eye or any of the books that have come after. And I just don't get that same level of excitement. That doesn't mean it's a failure. That just means it makes less of an impact. But even so, Cartographer's Handbook gives us plenty of contained narratives and segments that, while they don't come together to create something as a whole that wows me like other books in the series, nevertheless they succeed individually to capture the spirit of New Century, that feeling of reflecting on your grief and, most importantly, learning from it. 
This is a book that is about learning from your grief and sharing the lessons with others. That's what Cartographer's Handbook is at the end of the day, much like what I touched on when I said that it's a group therapy session. Mm. And I think that that's still worth something that gives this book something that makes it not just an extra bit of world building or a paratext to be experienced alongside Arlington or Secret Rooms. I think that I agree overall with much of what you say there in terms of the fact that Cartographer's Handbook doesn't necessarily make me as excited for what comes next as other books in the series do. When we think about how Let Them Go ends, how Secret Room ends, how Tiger's Eye ends, there is a notion of momentum well it the stories are complete in and of themselves but yes there is a momentum to the ending that happens where we know something is specifically going to lead on from what happens next and we very much want to know what that is and in some cases we aren't actually going to know what that is until we finally reach the final book of phase one, Steamheart. The natural point of contrast is, of course, the MCU. Those movies accomplish this feeling of more is coming multiple ways. Back when it was just a stinger at the end of Iron Man or the Incredible Hulk, or more directly a part of the narrative, such as when Steve wakes up alive in the modern world. All of those movies were very specifically building towards Avengers, much the way Secret Rooms, Tiger's Eye, Arlington, and even Let Them Go build towards Steamheart. The thing about the Cartographer's Handbook is that its final chapter in regards to the Windor, it that does its best to sort of set up a mystery to potentially be solved mm. for the new reader, but taken in the order that we're doing it as much as we've said over and over again that this order does actually work if we do it as something sandwiched in between secret rooms and arlington mm -hmm. the thing about the wind door is a question that has already been answered to a degree in secret rooms that we know more about the wind doors as a result of that book, rather than simply the fact that they exist and are going to be explored by Calvin Wilson by the end of this story right mm. here. As a result of reading Tiger's Eye first, we've already had our trip through the mm -hmm. window. Right. <laughs> okay, right. Get out the music uh, whenever mm -hmm. we uh, manage to do a title card drop there. <laughs> Um, but hey, if Alex can do it, we can too. Actually, I'm not sure that he's ever like I. I think that's something that I came up on on my on my own, honestly. But the point I is made, that we, we I made in the time since those little moments in. Um, oh I know yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, the uh, fact that he's specifically mm -hmm. been in. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as my reaction to again to Cartographer's Handbook specifically is concerned. 
while I enjoy the overall experience of the handbook, if there is an aspect to it that makes it less compelling than the overbooks overall, it's that, first of all, the cartographer's handbook doesn't really move us forward in the overall story of New Century. Yes. It gives us more information, and a lot of that information is backstory at this point. It gives us the information that is context to everything that we've been seeing Annie and Frank and Abigail and James up to in Secret Looms alone up to that point. And it's going to give us pertinent information as we proceed into Arlington. But it's this single snapshot in time, literally a historical document that other people have read and will read mm. that while it highlights certain parts along the new century timeline, it does not advance that timeline. And so therefore, the experience of this book is going to be a different experience than we have for anything else. To be because, sure. Because even though Arlington is definitely going to advance that timeline, even if it does overlap in places with the story of uh, Secret Rooms, as well as other stories in New Century, mm-hmm. but it, it goes beyond those stories as well in terms of time progressing, events progressing, characters progressing. Mm. There is no character progression in this story. It is much like the historical document is a snapshot. The individual vignettes are snapshots of these characters, some of whose stories end and Mm. some of whose stories will go on, but not within the context of this book. Mm. We're going to see these characters come back in different books, either referred to obliquely or interacted with by other characters in the series Mm. and for now this is all we have here for this book it doesn't necessarily make it a bad book but it makes it a very different animal in terms of everything else that we've been reading up till this point to be sure And, and it also means that it's different from the book that it was originally paying homage to World War Z, because even though that's a sequence of vignettes over the course of history, it also resolves that entire story of this is when the outbreak happened. This is what was going on as it was happening. This is, it was going on as civilization was, collapsing and people were just trying to survive and these are the stories that happened as we finally mounted a significant defense fought back the zombie hordes and started rebuilding society so Mm. that's a constant narrative i don't remember now if it brings back some of the same voices over the course of the book it may well do but at the very least it has its own narrative resolution where cartographer's handbook does not. Mm. And the only resolution that we are going to get 
is going to be in later books. If there's a resolution, it's the resolution of the characters that they, like, this is what we must do going forward. It's a different kind of it, or, or resolve, rather, is probably the better word for that. One thing I will say in response to the idea that this is a, a static snapshot is that in its defense, one thing that we mentioned in an early episode is that even then, even then, this book gives the impression of time advancing and it being alive in some way mm -hmm. because of the second edition additions. The idea of we have seen material that people would have initially seen in the first edition, and we are now seeing material that people are seeing after the response of that first edition. So there's the inkling of time passing, or the idea that this book is not just a single locked thing, that even this book is developing and evolving. Before I continue with my initial response to Toby's point, I also want to add that, as always, context is key. I bring this up because at time of editing, Alex got feedback earlier in the day from a fan on Discord who had never read or listened to any of the New Century prior, and decided to do exactly what Alex recommended a few months back, and start their entry into the world of New Century with Stone Spring Maidens, his LGBTQ romance novel. At this point, the book had been read by family, by editors, by sensitivity consultants, by his usual crew of test readers, and by me and Toby, as well as a few other dedicated fans. But this new reader responded with feedback that none of us could give because we were all well acquainted with the previous books, that Act 1 of his story was hard to get through if they didn't understand the context of the previous books in regards to one of our protagonists. This was apparently not the first time Alex had been told this, but the fan, a wonderful woman that goes by Pluto Burns, who reviews comics and other media on YouTube, and you should definitely check out her work, helped start a conversation that led to Alex deciding to restructure what he had written in order to make the book more friendly to new readers. Not changing what he had written, just reordering it to hook the reader more easily. The reason I bring it up is simply this. Sure, I can say that the cartographer's handbook doesn't feel like it moves the story forwards, but consider the fact that I read the books in the order that Alex gave me. For a number of people, the handbook was their entry point into New Century, due to it being the first written. It remains the book with the most reviews on Amazon, and the novel with the most feedback generated since his experiment began. It was even the impetus to turn New Century from only a novel and into an audio drama. It is literally the founding document of the world, and once upon a time, established everything else going forwards. Now, it may well be that even Alex decided that other books made for better hooks into the shared universe. As we'll get into later, some of the fictional conversations in Arlington may be reflective of actual real-world criticisms of this first entry. But I also believe that as a proof of concept, the handbook was a success. And however critical we may be, I assert that Alex began something special with this outing, 
enough to intrigue readers, and that needs to be part of the conversation. It didn't get dropped by the wayside, it just got reshuffled into a different order. And as mentioned in our recent shows on Nightfall of the Wendigo, it includes data that is nowhere else in the various books, context that shapes the narrative to come. Plus, the handbook is worth it alone for the dramatization of the story of Weirwood. Let me proceed on to a related topic. Mm -hmm. The question that I asked you back when I wrote the outline was, does its frequent use of distasteful language or problematic narrators affect its ability to tell a compelling story in its own right? But I want to take that question and modify the premise a little bit, which is that this is the very first story that Alex wrote. Mm. And one of the subjects that has come up again and again, not only as a part of our conversation, but to people that are actually following things like the remastering of Arlington and conversation in Discord and other things like that, where he's gone back and tweaked things here and there where he feels like the text as written doesn't accurately represent his views or what he actually wanted to put into the text, uh, and so therefore making modifications here and there. But this is his first book, and I don't know if there have been any significant changes between it and any remastered release or anything like that. I just know that based on what he himself has said, his own viewpoints have changed since 2013 when Cartographers was released, and that many of those changes in how he wants New Century to play out have been better reflected in later books in the series. Mm. With all of that in mind, and the way Cartographers itself is constructed in terms of the voices that it chooses to include as a part of the story, mm. does it feel a little bit like a throwback to an earlier version that doesn't necessarily sync up as well with what New Century has become? Or does it feel like there is an understandable through line? Hmm. Sorry, I didn't mean I, to um, be, make this too heavy for you. No, no, it's no. It's something just, that it's, came a, up. it's a very... I think you've put it in a... You put that thought in a very well-expressed way, which is that... This book was once a let's put our best foot forward to start new century. And as it sort of evolved, it's like you go back and does it still feel like new century given what new century has become? Mm -hmm. And I think that it's probably served well by its identity as a text that it is meant to represent a book that was written like at one point in this fictional world. So that kind of gives it this feeling of this is a window into a very particular point with 
the characters and the author it sort of puts you in the right mindset to experience something that maybe doesn't necessarily reflect a current state of being Mm -hmm. or viewpoint on things and i think that if you're asking me like okay that's the mindset but does this actually feel like it represents new century i still think it does Mm -hmm. i still think that in spite of it not sort of hitting as hard as like so if tiger's eye is like new century realized i think that seeing new century's potential Mm. still feels like you're getting the series or flavor of the series it still has that philosophy at its core which is about a world that has been scarred and gone through trauma and that you are processing grief and trying to heal in some way and it's not even just the promise or the expression of wanting to achieve that in a hope you're seeing evidence of it actually happen within the book within these micro narratives that are self-contained to their own chapters Mm. so i think the parts of this book that feel the most like new century aren't the ones that show the time of great trauma occurring or characters like Maggie Struthers who are characters who are representing a viewpoint that we're not 100% comfortable with occupying because it's one that sees black people as alien and other and comparable to a frightening stranger and that's that's something that doesn't feel like what the rest of the series is so to sort of experience it early on you do run the risk of maybe developing a false idea of what new century is you could go like oh is this sort of like a historical fiction where it kind of really goes into and like the awfulness of the past and Mm -hmm. so you have to kind of live in that world it's like no this acknowledges it but says fuck that let's try and actually like do something about it Mm -hmm. it does not abide by historical shittiness Mm -hmm. and the fact that while Maggie's story shows that her assumption was incorrect in that it was not actually a black man that she saw and while you may be able to extrapolate some kind of karmic justice in the idea that her town got wiped off the map it's not necessarily something that is wearing its colors on its sleeve in the sense of like okay this character said the n-word fuck them forever or just like it's more complicated than that but i think that that isn't what Newt Century is, but parts of the cartographer's handbook that do feel like it are things like our characters like Tabitha, Catherine, mm. Annie, uh, like Thomas himself, just all of these characters. And it's not just because they show up again later. That's I'm not conflating with, with like, oh, the parts of it that show people who we get to meet again later on. That's what actually feels like it's like, no. It's because of the content of their stories that there is some sort of positivity that is being either 
is actively happening or is being actively worked towards. And a character who hasn't showed up later by this present point, or at least, I don't know, is, um, I forget the name of the character who dealt with the cannibals. Um, oh, um, Her- right. Harriet. Right, Harriet, because, yes. sorry, yes. Harriet I was like, Lane. I should know this name because... Her name specifically comes up during our mm. earlier conversation but, as being um, mm. named after Harriet Beecher Stowe. Uh, mm. <laughs> sorry about so, that, uh, listeners. That's all right. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the, the, we've got angry Wendigos outside our. Uh, yep, no, I see one of them now. Um, <laughs> no, but. Uh, oh, to you get... forget Harriet Brian? <laughs> Bang, bang, bang. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, talking over that. But like, she is not a character who shows up again, but nevertheless, her story of being confronted with a difficult situation and working some sort of healing out of it. Like, explicitly, these people are being put in a position where they can help feed and heal others. And the fact that she can now like move forward with it, and that she can do so with a skip because of the actions of someone that she showed mercy to, that's part of it. And I think that I've rambled on long enough, but to answer your original question of, is this outdated as a sort of ambassador to New Century? In some ways... Yes, absolutely. It may not be an ambassador anymore, but I still think it is an inhabitant of it. It's still mm-hmm. a member of its population. Mm-hmm. It hasn't set itself too apart from the surrounding texts, mm. even if we have chosen to um, have a new starting point for quote-unquote phase one, or even the fact that Alex himself has gone on the record of saying there are many books that you could choose to start reading about New Century from, and the one that you should actually start with is probably going to be the one with a genre that intrigues you the most. Mm. The one that you're going to find the most compelling overall, because... You want to start with the book that gives you the best chance to buy in. Mm. If there's one thing that's absolutely true about New Century as an experience, is that there is a quality to watching these stories play out either written or in audio drama, and the audio drama does have advantages in its favor in terms of providing more forms of storytelling to draw the audience in. I'm not going to deny that. That's that's basically how I experienced it to begin with. But that, like an experience with any good author, with any good creator, there are going to be pieces of their body of work that are going to 
grab your attention better than any other. And once you are hooked with a story that really speaks to you, then you know that the author is one you want to hear more from, and are more likely to try stories that are not your preferred genre. Or alternatively, are less turned off by stories that might take a while for you to be invested in, because you know that there is an interconnected narrative, and want the whole context. Much like with the MCU. Mm. Look at it from the perspective of not Alex's fiction, but in terms of the various forms of School of Movies, what that eventually became. I had a couple different entry points into the podcast, one back when it was Digital Gonzo, and one later on when it had finally gotten its current title, School of Movies, uh, even though I don't remember now if the episode that I listened to uh, it was being called School of Movies at that point. It may well have been. I don't remember the exact uh, timeline of the name changes and everything like that. The point is, is that I eventually found the episode that made me buy into wanting to listen to everything else that Sharon and Alex and all of their guests put together to make me a fan of that. and. Once I had that as a buy-in, then it wasn't that big of a step for me to move on and start trying uh, his fictional works. But for some people, the buy-in of listening to him talk about something else isn't necessarily going to work the same for the fiction if that kind of world isn't necessarily going to be your cup of tea for whatever reason i've definitely mm. heard from some sources that the starting point of new century being a modified zombie narrative might have been considered a turnoff to some that's also one of the strengths of new century in general is that it includes so many different genres mm. that can be your entry point into the series and therefore make you want to have the rest of the context so you can meet all the different characters, even if it is not your preferred genre. I was unusual in that I chose to start my new century experience with the genre that I was least likely to be compelled by. You're the kid who ate his vegetables first, weren't you? <laughs> exactly. I, I was not not even just the vegetables. I was because I like vegetables. <laughs> I was the guy that like was given a meal with like a bunch of stuff that I already potentially enjoyed, and then there's one piece on there that I would not enjoy eating at all, but that I would choke down specifically to ensure that I got my pudding at the end of the uh, at the meal and everything like that, that I got my dessert. To this day, I'm not sure if Alex started me with Let Them Go because that was the official new entry point, and I had to start somewhere, or if he had some sort of inkling that I would get into that particular story. He and I had talked a lot about my tastes in media by that point, so it may have been an informed choice. Either way... I came out on the other side of Let Them Go going, oh, 
okay, that was kind of amazing right there, even if I had to struggle with some of the experiences along the way in order to get through it. And of course, we've talked about Let Them Go by now. My experience has changed. But that was kind of starting the new century experience on hard mode. Uh, It might have been less difficult for me had I actually started with the cartographer's handbook. Well, it might have been less difficult for me from a certain perspective because even though the genre was difficult in places the characters and the story of let them go was compelling as fuck Mm. and that's what made me a fan and made me go okay alex i've gotten through this one hit me with the next one please just inject it directly into my veins. (laughs) So, as you say, taking everything else into consideration, there are definitely other books that are a better starting point for New Century, but I would still encourage everyone to take this in, in your own time, as more content that will give you the context that you need to appreciate some of the other elements of the story as a whole, even if it's just a few more moments with characters that we enjoy, like uh, Dr. Kaufman or Lawton Sadler or something like that. Mm, Or Tabitha. Oh, yeah, because we... Mm. (laughs) Okay, so now I'm going to hear it from Maureen, because I didn't mention Tabitha immediately when listing off characters from Cartographer's I kid, I kid. She, um, she's understanding about that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> I think that Maureen is understanding, considering how long we spent on Tiger's Eye, and we did an entire interview about her characters. <laughs> yeah, well, she still has to catch up with most of Through the Window, um, which she is planning to do, especially since even though I haven't even written an outline for it yet, um, she is eventually going to be joining me in order to talk about some of the... That's right. We have a new seat at the Through the Window table. And this is really just so that we can have some extra content in because your life is so busy, and I want to be able to make sure to have a few things queued up uh, if we have to wait longer than usual in order to continue our retrospective or news of the century or any of the stuff that you and I have been building towards since over a year now, back in 2020. But, you know, that doesn't mean that for whatever reason that you can't be included in some of these larger conversations as well. It's just, it's going to start uh, with me and Maureen probably recording sometime in the coming week uh, before she comes to visit me here and. Uh, in Boston. Um, Boston. Mm-hmm. As it turns out, I didn't get my shit together in time to do that. But have no fear. There won't be a gap since the day after this episode goes up. Toby and I will be recording the first episode of our retrospective on Arlington. In the meantime, I have finally picked a topic for Maureen and I to record on sometime in the coming days. 
and will be writing an outline for her to contribute to immediately after finishing this edit. So that's something for all of you to look forward to, listeners. I, um, I get to look, and look forward to it as well. I'm, oh, yes. This exactly, is a exactly. through the window episode that I won't be in the room for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the first. Wait, time... am I technically in the room? I'm in one of the rooms for our shows. I'm not in both. I'm not a quantum podcaster. But the question becomes then is it a secret room? <laughs> Okay, I had to leave the room for a moment. <laughs> you had to leave the secret room? No. <laughs> Through the hidden door. Yeah. Why the fuck are we so punchy? I... Uh... <laughs> I quit. You need to find someone else to record the show with for next week. <laughs> well, the, so this is the end uh. of our discussion on cartographer's handbook and it ended with a bang oh well don't don't let me step on your words do you have do you have any remaining thoughts at this point serious uh, or otherwise well uh we have technically just finished our fourth uh let me count this yes our fourth new century book and i think that uh revisiting this you were talking earlier about how when we go back to these books, we come away with this sort of new appreciation. And it's tricky because you sort of think of like, there have been this many new century books that have come out and some of them sort of occupy a weird, like half space like this and Christmas thieves. And, or at least I used to think that this was sort of like, an incomplete book or like it didn't necessarily occupy the same amount of real estate space in my head as some of the others but i think that i'm sort of slapping myself on the back of the head now because i do think that this feels like a complete text i do think that this is something that feels like a complete book that it can be that because I, I do come away with it feeling like melancholy, feeling hopeful and feeling a sort of not necessarily a burning fire to move forward, whether it's with my own endeavors or with the next installment of New Century. But I just feel this sort of calm of we can get there. Mm. Yeah. <sighs> so that's us. Mm -hmm. And that means that the next time that you're going to be hearing anything from Through the Window, well, some of the surrounding episodes of this coming out is going to likely be part three of News of the Century Nightfall. We don't yet have a date for when the next New Century book is going to be released, but it's coming close. Imminent. And, yeah. But that's just the finish of the writing because it still needs to go through the editing process and it needs to have its first readers go through it in order to pick up any potential things that uh, Alex and Sharon need to go over and swap around before it gets mm -hmm. released. So 
it's going to be a while before I am going to read uh, Back in Time. Therefore, it's going to be even longer before Toby is going to read Back in Time. So it's going to be even longer before we can actually record on Back in Time. Unless it's... we've done it already. <laughs> can you believe that thing that already did never happen or did? That might be an accurate description of what happens in the book. We don't know. Yeah, exactly. Or do we? Okay, we really need to to, to put a caver on this before we go completely off the rails. So, final... Greg, the rails were left behind before we started recording the main show. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, every now and then, we do try and get back on the track in order to have the conversation but we keep on like derailing and everything like that and that's just kind of part of our brand we don't need rails yeah yeah more nightfall news the first four chapters of arlington and whatever topic that maureen and i choose to cover on through the wind door century tales but in the meantime, we'll see you on another trip through the wind door. Take care. And that's pretty much it, folks. Our journey through the Cartographer's Handbook took far longer than expected, but that's just a reflection of how much conversation there is to have on any given Shaw story. This won't be the last time we discuss the handbook as a concept, but this is the end of our deep dive into the text itself, now properly primed, for the political thriller that is Arlington. To close us out, an 80s song that was a mainstay of the radio when I was growing up. It stuck in my head, particularly due to it being included in the 1994 miniseries adaptation of The Stand, and there was also a memorable cover of it in 2003 by Christian alternative rock band Sixpence None the Richer. But this is the version that I remember best, and the lyrics make me think about the importance of keeping hope alive, the pursuit of freedom, and how we cannot let the hate and fear of others drive us apart. To quote a young poet named Matty Stepanek, Unity is strength. When there is teamwork and collaboration, wonderful things can be achieved. Indeed, he was an example of such greatness as before he succumbed to a rare muscular dystrophy disorder at the tender age of 13, he penned seven volumes of best-selling poetry and peace essays. I'd never heard of this young fellow before looking up the quote, but it feels right and good to bring him up on the eve of talking about another remarkable woman that will be a key protagonist in New Century going forwards. Until next time, this is Crowded House with Don't Dream It's Over. I'm
Would you believe me if I said I haven't had coffee? No. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) That's my secret, Greg. I'm always on coffee. (laughs) (laughs) So it's really just about using the tools I have and the experience I have in order to make gross changes to what we do together make a better product or whatever. So You're you're going to make our show gross? It's already gross. You, you, with you, you, with your ridiculous puns and everything like that. Now, I'm, I beg your pardon. There is nothing gross about the way I record. Oh, God. Uh, okay, some more stuff. For I'll the leave it to your imagination really. what that is meant to be. <laughs> I have um, no idea how that sounded. <laughs> uh, it sounded like a Wendigo pawing at your microphone. <laughs> as a part of the most recent edit i made a comparison in regards to the cartographer's handbook sort of being an outline for as you put it in reference to general Curtis's story returning home a return to normal but also a conversation on what that normal should look like Mm -hmm. um that is very relevant to both the mcu and to you know, conversations that are happening right now with companies wanting everyone to get to back to get back to work and people being mm. like, no, you pay us shit wages. I'm <laughs> going to take my unemployment and go do something else. Yeah. Um, so with oh that God. said, let's let's get right to it. Oh, we, we Greg, a... I feel I feel foolish. Uh, we've missed we've made a mistake. This is the wrong interconnected fictional universe we've been talking about for the last hour. Oh no. <laughs> Quick, edit this out. No one will realize. The conversation just prior to this was a discussion of the trailers on the Rise of the Planet of the Apes Blu-ray he sent me specifically regarding a movie called In Time, starring Justin Timberlake. I haven't seen the film. I guarantee that it is said, or variations of it are said, multiple times. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, well, right, because yeah, everyone's got to be so fucking clever. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why the way you said that just gave me a chuckle. It's all right. I appreciate... Um... Um, being able to make people laugh. 
I'm sorry. I'm still. I'm... Okay. I'm fine. Oh. <laughs> no. oh no, I'm giggling. So I'm you say you haven't had coffee, but now I've, I I feel like you should have had tea so that you'd be nice and calm for whatever comes forward. Although, I guess mm-hmm. the calming effect of tea is really just experiential because tea also has caffeine in it and so therefore mm. wouldn't naturally be relaxing uh if mm. it's got a stimulant in it it's just got it's got like meditative you know, properties i suppose yeah exactly it's got 10 percent of the caffeine that a cup of coffee has in it so mm-hmm. I, I actually never knew the exact i mean i'm not going to look it up and see it's nine percent go greg lied to me <laughs> well i did some specific research into it because yeah. for a while understanding how much caffeine was in various things I could take into my body was very important because I was doing a job that was mind-numbingly dull Mm -hmm. and getting there early in the morning and then trying to keep in my seat and keep focused on what I was doing was becoming more and more difficult. So Mm -hmm. I was basically front-loading my day with like two five-hour energies back-to-back. That's... 500 milligrams of caffeine to start my day with in part because I have such a high tolerance to caffeine in general. I needed that much to actually get it into my system and have an effect. I shudder to think how much caffeine I actually need before it takes an effect. I must be so numb to it by this point. Yeah. But apparently not. These shows are probably evidence that after a, it's probably a, that wonderful combination of cup of coffee and the right subject matter so yeah and his volunteering of this information without using the safety of anonymity why do i write this word when i have trouble with it uh anonymity i think you pronounced it fine okay then i am following my brand which is to be overly (laughs) self-critical And here's the bit from immediately after we finished our Skype recording. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, we're finally done. (laughs) I'm so sorry for numerous reasons. It was our talking, our my scheduling, all of that. But we did it. The book that like speaking of going back in time, just to go back to us and like leave a message for ourselves. It's like, Greg, I've got a message scribbled by both of us from the future that says uh, gives us vital info to our short series on the cartographer's handbook. It's just a single word that says, "Ha." <laughs> That's the easy one, Dan. Now Arlington. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, in comparison, I guess. 